I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. I promise, I do. You're not going to believe me after the, the last several weeks we've had, but I promise that this is not a current events show. Uh, but current events keep keep happening. Uh, and, and the problem with this being a current event show is that this show happens once a week, right? We, we only come together, you and I, just uh, once every week on Saturdays. And, um, you know, life happens every single day. And the way that the show's set up, I have to plan a certain amount in advance to get our guests on and to figure out what we're going to talk about. And so by the next time, you know, an event happens after I get a, a guest scheduled, well, by the next time we can get around to it, well, now that event has passed, and uh, then it just seems like I'm behind the times. So maybe this is a, a not a current event show, but a, hey, this recently happened, and I'm not quite ready to let it go yet. Uh, so we have a couple of things we're going to talk about today. As we get into the show, we're going to be talking with Sam Rocha. He's the, uh, the editor of the Catholic Channel over on the Patheos Network. He's a professor in Vancouver. Uh, he's living in Canada, but he is from South Texas. And uh, I've just come to really appreciate his opinion, his positions. Uh, he's my favorite, my favorite agent provocateur on Twitter. You know, he'll, uh, he'll get just on a tear. Uh, and one of those tears is why we're going to be talking with him today. We're talking about how we form our consciences uh, as we approach the election. You know, we, we hear that it's our responsibility as Catholics to vote with an informed conscience, with a formed conscience. And uh, a lot of times that, that really is used as a, kind of a smokescreen uh, for a specific political party, rather than actually what it is that we have to really form our consciences appropriately for the whole of Catholic teaching, that we can live out our faith in, in this most vital way in the voting booth. So we're going to be talking about what that looks like and how we go about doing that, uh, specifically with the kind of contentious election that we have in front of us. So uh, I was going to spend this time right now giving you some of my thoughts uh, before our guest came on talking about this, but, um, but the world has moved on. Uh, now, it's still something that's very important, uh, and so we're going to have that conversation with him, but uh, I want to talk to you, I want to talk to you about what happened this last week in the north of France, uh, where we had a faithful, beloved priest uh, of 86 years old, who in the midst of saying a daily mass, uh, was martyred. Um, that two adherents of ISIS came in and it held a few people hostage. And it may, I don't know if, I haven't been able to, to ascertain whether or not anyone was able to escape or whether it was just a very small daily mass, as, as if you've ever been to daily mass, sometimes they are very small. Um, and so they came in and they held two nuns, uh, at least two, maybe three other parishioners hostage, uh, and injured a nun and murdered, martyred uh, Father Jacques Hemal. Uh, and I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly. Um, so if you speak French, pardon me. 
and, and I'm I'm struck by this. Uh, I feel the weight of this because uh, it happened while he was saying mass. It happened in the midst of that sanctuary, in the midst of the sacrifice that Christ gave on behalf of his people. Uh, we have a priest following and mirroring, just like uh, when when Jesus said to Peter, "They're gonna when you get old." People are going to take you where you don't want to go, right? And and that's what's happened here. Uh, you know, I see this um, not as a fearful thing, uh, most certainly not as a fearful thing. Uh, I wrote a blog post about this over on uh, my blog on the Pathios Network. Uh, it's called A Belief Observed is the name of the blog, but you can get to it just by going over to my, my show website, uh, www.outsidethewalls.com. You click that little blog button, it'll take you there. Uh, and so I wrote a post about this earlier in the week called um, uh, ISIS Martyrs uh, Priest Saying Mass. The front lines are not where you think they are. And I, I'm just doing my best to express what I was feeling as I f- kind of sat down and mulled over this. And I went back and you never read the comments. Never, even if it's your own blog, just don't read the comments. But I did. I went and I read some comments uh, on uh, the Pathios Facebook page, and I, I was accused of fear-mongering that, um, by saying that they're coming for you next. They're coming for you next. Uh, and people accused me of fear-mongering. Well, that's not my intention at all by saying they're coming for you next. They're coming for me next. Uh, what, I, what I mean when I say that is we have got to be living a life of holiness. We've got to be living in a state of grace. We've got to be living uh, a life that that will be worthy of the kingdom of God. Now, what do I mean by this? And it's tricky because, you know, we get so caught up with the day-to-day. We get caught up with uh, following Facebook, following politics, following whatever else is going on, and investing our energies and our time into those things, whether it be our Uh, our entertainment, whether it be our jobs, whatever the case may be, our our, our favorite cause, we end up devoting our time to that at the expense of us living a life of faith. And so I see this, uh, this martyrdom of Father Jacques, and I know if it can happen in the north of France in the middle of daily Mass, it can happen anywhere at any time. And so for me, this isn't a sense of, oh my goodness, we have, we've got to be careful and place armed guards and we've got to be watching out for in case this happens. For me, it's a question of, am I in a place where, where I would be able to be a martyr? Uh, not that, oh, if, I, if only <laughs> I, at the beginning of that uh, blog, I posted this uh, passage from Flannery O'Connor of this little girl who's like, oh, I can never be holy, so I, I just need to die a martyr's death. Uh, I, I, I couldn't be a saint, but I could be a martyr if they killed me real quick. That's not what I'm getting at either, although I, I use that to, to kind of try and do a turn of phrase. I don't know that it works so well. Um, but I've got to, to live a life of holiness and not just trust that, oh gosh, if they burst in, then I'll be a martyr. Oh, it'll be wonderful then I won't have to worry about purgatory, right? No. Rather, we have to live a life that's in keeping with the gospel. 
we have to realize and remember that Jesus said uh, to his apostles, he said, when the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. No servant is greater than their master. The world hated Jesus. The world martyred Jesus, right? And that being the case, I shouldn't expect anything less. Uh, we, we look at the, the world around us and we're like, oh, well, you know, we live in a Christian nation. Even so, even if, even if that were true, uh, we can't expect that just because the culture around us is nominally Christian, that it's going to put up with and accept our expressions of faith. Uh, we just can't. And, and as we get closer to this election, that may become more and more true. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit on the other side uh, of the next break. I, I don't even know that I'm being terribly clear here. So if not, uh, I, I apologize. Bear with me. Uh, what I want to say to you is this. Um, our faith is not just this dusty old thing where we go to Mass and we say our responses and we make sure that we say them just loud enough so that our voices are heard, but not so loud that it's heard above everybody else. And we want to make sure that we uh, sing the songs, maybe, if they're okay, um, at least not have a sour face on. And then after our hour of Mass, we're going to make sure the kids go to RE, and then, and then we're done, right? We've done our faith for the week. Yay. Uh, that's not enough. It's not enough. Uh, faith impacts the way we live. Faith has to impact the way we live. Uh, if it doesn't, then you have to question the level of belief. Because belief, if I say I believe this chair is going to hold me up, it's going to manifest by me sitting down in the chair, right? Uh, I'm not just going to, oh, yeah, I believe the chair is going to hold me up. I, I, I just don't want to sit in it. And that's how we treat our faith. That's how we treat our, our responsibility uh, to that prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as it is in heaven. It's our job to help bring about the kingdom of God here. That means that we pursue justice for the oppressed. It means that we, we comfort those who mourn. It means that we are living out every single moment of our lives with an eye to the world uh, and looking for the needs of the world. How can I serve you as Christ served me? So I look at this martyrdom, I look at this fresh reminder that we are called daily to take up our cross, to deny ourselves and follow Christ. I look at this as a reminder and a call that I can't be distracted by little things that don't matter. I have to be dedicating myself to a life of holiness, to a life of discipleship. And that's going to impact a lot of things. It's going to impact the way that we speak to one another. It's going to impact the way we vote. Oh, we're going to be talking about that just after this break with Sam Rocha. Uh, we're going to talk about what our responsibility is. We can't just close our eyes and blindly follow the pack and check off a box. We've got to form our consciences and listen to the Holy Spirit, even and maybe especially in that most important way. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Thanks for sticking around. Oh, 
It just doesn't end. It just, it doesn't end. Uh, we, there's always something else going on. I, I swear that this is not a political show. I, I swear on my very life, this is not meant to be a current event show. And yet, uh, life keeps happening. Of course, we are in the middle of election season. Uh, it's beginning to heat up. We've had uh, our conventions. The two major conventions have uh, made lots and lots of news. And last week, as the Republican National Convention was going on, uh, I noticed this torrent is the only way to describe it. Uh, this torrent of tweets on Twitter from my favorite agent provocateur, Sam Rocha. Uh, he is the uh, editor for the Pathios Network. Uh, he is a, a professor, a musician, a phenomenologist, and much, much more. Uh, glad to have him on the show today. Sam, thanks for being here today. Hey, thank you for having me. So in the midst of all those torrent of tweets of various levels of frustration with what you were watching there from Canada, uh, on vacation, no less, you, you, uh, you posted this uh, tweet, uh, vote your well-informed, in parentheses, well-informed conscience. Uh, and that's something we hear a lot about. Uh, well, rather, we hear vote your conscience a lot. And we read in the voter guides from various places that a Catholic has a responsibility to have a well-formed conscience. Uh, and that's about the extent of any effort that's given to conscience. Uh, and so I wanted to talk today. I'm not a, I grew up in a very political household. I grew up in a very conservative political household. And I swore off politics back uh, in 2008. Uh, I said, you know, this is causing me too much stress, and it's really uh, ultimately not that important. I see politics and religion as two different answers to the same question of how do we best order our lives. Uh, and too often those, those uh, answers were in conflict with one another, so I'm like, you know what, I'm done with this. Uh, but here we are talking about politics, uh, looking looking at uh, how divergent the, the political answers of how we order our life are away from the faith answer. They're, they're completely divergent uh, to where uh, we, on a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the Black Lives Matter and the, the war of the hashtags, we talked about uh, how really any, any way you cast your ballot is in some small measure uh, an act of betrayal against your faith. You have to choose and prioritize what tenets of the faith are more important to you and then in some small way betray some other tenet or portion of your faith uh, to cast a ballot. So you, you brought up this well-informed conscience, uh, which a lot of other folks do. Talk to me about how you inform your conscience. How do you get there? Well, you know, I, I, I don't feel comfortable speculating on this, you might say, out of my, out of my own head or, or, to be more ironic, out of my own conscience, uh, simply because it's a very uh, clearly, I think, uh, articulated uh, teaching of the church. And it's, uh, it's also a teaching of the church, though, that I believe is um, a, a bit more, more recent in terms of its full-throated articulation. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll play the, 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 uh, the, the nerd card here and kind of give uh, our audience a sense of who they can look at in order to um, inform their conscience about the informing of their conscience, you could say. Okay. So, so the, the, the person I think who really raises this issue in a substantive way um, in a very modern environment is Newman, uh, uh, John Cardinal Newman. Um, and 
the next person who really takes Newman's, you could say, challenge on the primacy of conscience and develops it into what I believe is a really just lovely short uh, uh, book that's that 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 really lays down some some important principles for thinking about this is Benedict the Sixteenth right before he was Pope so under under the author name of Ratzinger in uh, a short little book called On Conscience okay. and Benedict picks up um, from Newman's letters to the Duke of Norfolk where he famously tells the Duke that if he were to give a toast he wouldn't. Uh, first toast to the Pope, probably, because first of all, why should we be mixing religion with drinking? But then secondly, he says, if I were to toast to anyone, I would first toast to conscience and then to the Pope. Um, and this sort of provocation is what leads Benedict, um, uh, and he actually cites that letter uh, directly, to go on an extended meditation in the first part of the book. And then the second part of the book, he's actually talking to bishops and theologians and particularly raises the issue of do theologians have to obey their bishops or can they obey their consciences if they feel their consciences lead them in another direction. So basically the question of magisterial fidelity and all this stuff. And I think for Catholics, it's important to realize that the teaching on the information on informing our conscience is not principally a political uh, uh, instrument, mm-hmm. right? So you're not supposed to inform your conscience just to vote every four years. Uh, the, infor- the, the informing of our conscience is actually meant in the deepest sense to be a, a, a major part of our formation. That is to say, it's, it's our religious education. So the way I understand this, in particular because of my interests in education, but also because I think it's just plainly stated true, is that for, for Catholics, the informing of our conscience is at the deepest level our education. Um, and then the implications for this, of course, mean that when November comes along, we have, you could say, a musculature available to us um, with which we can make decisions. So I would say, how do I inform my conscience? Well, first of all, I think I inform, I've informed my conscience uh, at, a, at a meta level by seeing what the church says about the informing of my conscience, and I've tried to understand it. And then secondarily um, – I've, uh, I think there's some actual claims within that teaching that give me a sense of not so much knowledge and content and facts and figures, but a sense of, uh, of a disposition to, at some level, trusting my own thought and trusting my own self to pick up the right book or, you know, and, and, and read it and, and think about it on my own terms without running to a commentary or running to this on the one hand. And on the other hand, looking for uh, 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 spiritual direction, for teaching, uh, for formation on the other. And I think it's this balance between trusting your own God-given mind and also informing that mind through minds of others that you, with whom you seek out dialogue, whether it's dialogue and reading a text or listening to a homily or seeking out a spiritual director or what have you. And that process is just the spiritual life. I mean, it's nothing particularly, it's not a big deal. Well, I think we have to, to bring up the point that dialogue is, one, it's essential, but two, it's something we're really bad at, right? Mm-hmm. We tend to <laughs> have a conversation uh, with people who generally we agree with, right? So we don't really get into dialogue in terms of uh, having more than one narrative go on at a time. It's more of a, oh yeah, I agree with that narrative, so I'm going to converse with that narrative, 
rather than really having dialogue, two different uh, narratives going on at the same time that we have to really wrestle with. Uh, and, and this is something that, uh, gosh, I, I think our whole society is bad at, uh, of sitting down and actually listening to someone else who will challenge us uh, more than just to come up with a better answer so that I can, yeah, as the um, my, my favorite kind of news article or news article in quotes on Facebook, watch so-and-so destroy... <laughs> devastate, you know, these, these uh, almost warring uh, kinds of text and, and language. Uh, it, we don't look at a conversation to inform us. We look at a conversation to be mastered and destroyed and, and, and uh, so that we become better in our own argument simply for the sake of uh, dismissing someone else. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, think, I think the absence of dialogue and, in fact, the confusion of of a certain kind of grandstanding and self-affirming talk as dialogue, uh, taking the place of dialogue is a huge problem. And I think the other the other problem with dialogue, though, extends to not only the way we actually communicate, but the way we communicate with literature, with books. So, for instance, I'm going to go back to Benedict because I, I just adore Benedict. Um, by the way, that doesn't I, I, I love Francis, too. But on, on conscience, I'm a big – I think Benedict really has the goods on this one. Um, we've heard a lot of people saying that Benedict wanted to destroy the dictatorship of relativism. And, every, and a lot of people are – that charges them up and it gets them up in the morning and you know, uh, it's raised a lot of money for first things and stuff like that. But if we but – and everyone takes it at face value that like, of course, destroy the – that means postmodernism, secularism, liberal Supreme Court justices. They turn it into an immediate sort of instrument to, to basically affirm their own ideology. Mm-hmm. When we read the book on conscience, there's a one section in the second part of the book that's called – the reduction to objectivity in which Benedict, <laughs> to use your language, dismantles uh, <laughs> dismantles this idea that the truth is reducible to the objective in a technical, uh, instrumental way. And he actually shows and argues that we've allowed a mathematical, technical, and technocratic system that's very good, he says, for building cars to substitute for our moral imagination. And in this small little section, he absolutely clearly and almost at some level satirically, he satirizes this view uh, as the key problem of the modern condition, which is, of course, coextensive with relativism. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about this a little bit more right after the break. Uh, th- this sounds like we've got quite a bit more to go, so I wanted to find a good stopping spot. But we're going to continue this conversation on dialogue, on forming our conscience with Sam Rocha right after this break. He's my favorite agent provocateur on Twitter. You can find him at samrocha.com. That's also his Twitter handle, at samrocha.com. And if you follow him, if you tweet him, he'll answer you. As will I at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. And on Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Let's have a conversation. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. 
Today, we're talking about forming our consciences. We're talking with Sam Rocha. He's the, uh, the editor of the Catholic Channel on the Pathios Network. He is a uh, phenomenologist, a college professor, a musician, uh, an agent provocateur on Twitter and other social media. Sam, thanks for being on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me again. So just before the break, we were talking about uh, the, the work of uh, Ratzinger, uh, St. Ratzinger, you know. <laughs> Whoa, oh, I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you. <laughs> so, that escalated quickly. It did. So we're talking about his work on conscience uh, in this specific section where he's disputing the idea that truth can be reduced to this uh, objective reality. Uh, that's good for building a car, which as a German, he would understand, right? German engineering. Uh, But he says that that's not good uh, for the rest of truth. So uh, I interrupted you. Why don't you pick up right there? Well, what I'm trying to show is the fact that Benedict's opposition to the dictatorship of relativism, when it's read in dialogue with his other writings, it may actually lead to implications and conclusions that are not quite as self-affirming as the ones that we see often used in everything from uh, fundraising to just flat-out culture wars in in the United States. Benedict's key obsession in this section is in opposing a false reduction to a false objectivity that, that under which morality can simply be defined as one plus one equals two, one plus one doesn't equal four, you know, obey, submit, this kind of a thing. In other words, Benedict, you know, Ratzinger at the time, just like Newman and just like the church has taught for ages and ages and ages, we see this in Augustine as well, has a deep respect and a, and a complete and total commitment to the Imagus Day, to the image of God that we are imprinted on, of which the freedom of our mind and the and the almost anarchic possibility of our intellect is among the first and most sacred things. Um, and the Jews showed this uh, in relationship to the law many times as well. Jesus was the most radical rabbinical prophet who basically put conscience above the law in many cases. And so I think a lot of Catholics, when they're talking about informing their political conscience— often make some false assumptions about forming their conscience, period, Mm -hmm. especially with respect to claims to truth, objectivity, relativism, so on and so forth. Um, The other problem I see with this, though, in a political arena, and as you've noticed, hopefully now I've changed my language from talking about conscience formation writ large to Mm -hmm. to the political conscience writ small, is that we we in the United States have acquired this sort of puritanistic perfectionism when it comes to our understanding of of what 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 suffrage really means many people especially catholics well-intended catholics believe that to vote is to make a righteous choice right right scripture doesn't bear this out the election of saul very quickly should dispel every single perfectionist intuition with respect to politics uh certainly within a modern nation state and a democracy Mm -hmm. Uh, I think on this point, people like Francis and Ratzinger and even John Paul II, Europeans, Latin Americans, basically everyone except for United States, right. you know, Americans, um, they don't quite carry the the same kind of uh, of weight to their 
sense of moral perfectionism with respect to suffrage. This doesn't mean they don't have principles and this doesn't mean that they're uh, relativists or that they're, you know, just kind of vulgar voters. But I do think that that there's a resistance to ideology in the fact that these compromises are not necessarily always these complete and total clashes of civilization and evil. And it almost becomes Gnostic, really. Mm -hmm. I think actually most Catholics have a Gnostic conception of politics where it's good versus evil and evil has as much power as good. And so you have to do your best with your puny little vote and your, you know, rigged electoral college to try and fight it. This is ridiculous. This is a false theology as I mean, here I'll say on my own view, it's, it's heretical verging Mm -hmm. on that. Right. Um, we're talking with my favorite agent provocateurs. You can see <laughs> why right now. We're talking with Sam Rocha. Uh, and so you're, you're talking about this, this dichotomy that we see. And, it, you know, it's, I think it's largely borne out because of fundraising, which you brought up earlier. Oh, well, you've got to vote for this side, and so we need, uh, we need money because we have to defeat the evil of that side. And then you get to a place today where you look at the two candidates and you're like the two the, of the two-party system and say – Wait, which one's supposed to be evil again? Because uh, I'm having a hard time really differentiating between the two people. Uh, And so we've got this other scenario which comes up when you have this dichotomy where we're voting for against the person we like least. We're not really voting for the person we like most. And so I'm, I'm going to bring up this thing I'm sure you've heard a million times, and I want you to address it to the best of your uh, your provocateurism mysticness. Uh, and that is, well, if you don't vote at all, or if you vote for a third-party person, then that's basically a vote for the evil one, the, the whichever one I deem to be the evil one today. Uh, and so now we're thrust into this uh, only I and my puny vote. Only I can save the union. And, and if I don't vote properly, then, then the messianic prophecy will be broken and all the world will devolve into darkness. Uh, and, and so there's this messianic complex, really, of the individual voter. So talk a little bit about your impression of, of that statement. You have to vote X or Y will win. Well, again, like I said, this war of the worlds idea is um, not, in my opinion, consistent with a Catholic worldview. It's just metaphysically uh, upset. It, 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 as Chesterton says, he says, two sins against hope, presumption and despair. It's it's it it's both presumptuous in many cases and despairing. It, it sins against hope. Um, I think there's a lot of ways that you can cut this uh, uh, pie up. I think first of all, what do we mean by vote? So there seems to be a difference to saying I am staying home as an act of protest. This is my vote because I'm intentionally choosing to stay home as opposed to, oh, wait, the election happened yesterday, right? Um, (laughs) What was that about, right? Clearly, our intentionality in in the two different cases are completely different. And so I want to say that the the bishops rightly encourage uh, um, us to not only inform our consciences, but to be responsible citizens. But what does it mean to be a responsible citizen? I think the, the, the... the, the floor line for that is to have an intentional uh, uh, disposition towards the nation state. So if it's in protest, 
do so intentionally, not by accident. Mm -hmm. And if it's uh, to affirm something, do so intentionally, not by accident. And so I think for one, the option to stay home is available as an act of suffrage in and of itself. Um, there, there's nothing in my mind inconsistent with that, but that doesn't mean that we can use that as an excuse for total apathy, which means we just forget about everything. Don't pay attention. Just go shopping and eat ice cream and what have you know, what have you now, just um, as by way of reminder, because it is a presidential election year. And so we often forget this, uh, but the ballot has a lot of other things besides the president of the United States. Uh, one of the Chesterton statements that I love is, um, we ought to keep politics as local as possible uh, so that we can kick our politicians when they get out of line, uh, right? And so if you do uh, choose to abstain, I would encourage you to go ahead and vote for your city councilman, vote for your school board, vote for any, any things that are coming up on the ballot in your state because uh, those things are going to directly impact you much faster than the president of the United States would anyway. Absolutely. And on this and on this, we have Catholic social teaching, subsidiarity and solidarity. So we forget that subsidiarity basically means that our first most duties are to our most proximate relations. And so I think it's permissible, even in this case, to say that, you know what, the federal election is a really big mess. Um, but we need some better roads and so and so is running for county commissioner. And um, and I'm going to spend some time, you know, uh, trying to talk to people about why my friend so-and-so uh, you know, would do a nice job helping us build our roads. You might say, oh my gosh, that's not a moral issue. Well, I'm sorry. Subsidiarity says that you, your first responsibilities are, t- are to your local community, the, the most local community being your family, of course, but also your town. So if you're throwing – and also just give me a break. If you're going to say that, that that big government is bad, then I hope you're participating in your small government at home. Yeah. Otherwise, just – you know. Just you know, shut off the computer. <laughs> so, so if you're if you're railing against big government, but you've never run for for school board, and you have no idea who the sheriff is or whatever, then just stop playing ideological games because mm-hmm. this is clearly false, right? Um, but I think that it's also permissible to say I'm going to participate in one arena of politics as a citizen, and on the other arena, it's just I I just. I can't be disturbed, you might say. You know, um, I think that's also permissible. But by the way, it's also permissible to vote for third party um, and to vote strategically or to vote on principle. Um, and I think the major party votes also work. I mean, it is a binary system. If you're in an electoral swing state and you feel that that you have some kind of a duty to mitigate damage or whatever. All of these options work. What matters, though, is the fact that you can give not an ideological but a thoughtful and and, and explanation from your own informed conscience with the dignity of the imprint of God that's that's placed there. And if you don't have the capacity to give that, if you're spouting memes or MSNBC or Fox News talking points or this, that, and the other, then clearly your conscience hasn't been formed by the church and much less by by the integrity of your own intellect. And that's the problem. So I'm going to put a link to that, uh, that book by Ratzinger on conscience. Going to put a link so that you can find that on our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle is at outside the walls. Hey, why don't you come over to that Twitter page, that Facebook page and uh, give us a little bit of your political thought. Give me a piece in your mind. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to outside the walls with Timothy Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Glad you're still here. Oh, I tell you, this this election cycle is causing me no small amount of consternation. And based on the uh, the amount of things and memes and conversations and arguments flying around Facebook, I would say probably everyone is experiencing just a little bit of of nervousness uh, regarding this election. Now, I uh, I grew up in a very pro-life, very conservative household. And so uh, this last this last week, um, I got my Kentucky driver's license because we're out here now in, in uh, the, the great bluegrass state, or as people say, where are you moving? Well, I'm moving to the, the state of Bourbon, right? There you go. Uh, you know, I, I got my... <laughs> That's, see, this is the tangents that I go on. I got my Kentucky driver's license, and in the process, for the first time in my life, I registered as an independent to vote. And that was really a very difficult thing for me because I grew up uh, with that pro-life mindset of the Republican Party uh, is the, the pro-life party. And, um, and I'm just not seeing it anymore. Now, on the local level, I certainly am. Uh, on the local level, I, I've seen a, a number of pieces of legislation on various state houses and state branches of uh, legislative branches that that have done really remarkable things uh, in that pro-life endeavor. Of course, I used to be the Respect Life Director for the, the Diocese of Tulsa, and so I was intimately involved uh, in that world. And I can tell you, as someone who I've put on multiple Tulsa March for Life. I did multiple 40 Days for Life. Uh, I was part of putting eight ultrasounds into pregnancy resource centers all over uh, the state of Oklahoma. And I tell you, government's not going to solve this problem. It's not. Uh, Roe v. Wade is likely never to be overturned. It was was put in place by Republican-appointed justices. Uh, It was upheld by Republican-appointed justices. Uh, and so the Supreme Court is not the place to fight this battle. Um, House, leg- you know, the local level, absolutely. We've seen it do marvelous things in Texas. We've seen it do marvelous things in Oklahoma uh, and, and other states around the country. There are legislative things that can be done, but it's not going to happen nationally. And so for me, this is like a, an algebra problem, right? You've got, when you have a variable that appears on both sides of the equation, you X out that variable and move on to the next thing. And I tell you what, uh, history has borne out. If you look at the records of the people who are running, uh, none of them that are in the major parties, none of them uh, have a pro-life position. Even those who are claiming to have somewhat of a conversion, you look at their history and you look at the trustworthiness of their words and it's just not there. Uh, and so for me, uh, I, I can't vote in this election based on that issue. I have to look at what are the other issues that, not to say that that's not an important issue, but it's really kind of a moot point in this election because no one's really going to make a difference there. Uh, and so that's very difficult for me to say uh, but that's that's where I see us. Now, maybe you've got a different opinion. Why don't you come over and tell me what that is? Uh, Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. But before you do that comment, before you go over there, let's go ahead and read 
uh, our our readings from today. And I thought that they were just really, really interesting uh, readings for this Saturday of the 17th week in Ordinary Time, because both the, both the Old Testament reading and the gospel are about prophets getting killed. I thought, yay, that's, that's awesome. Uh, so I'm going to read you out of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 26 uh, is the first reading for the day, and it says this, The priests and prophets said to the princes and to all the people, This man deserves death. He has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your own ears. Jeremiah gave this answer to the princes and all the people. It was the Lord who sent me to prophesy against this house and all that you have heard. Now, therefore, reform your ways and your deeds. Listen to the voice of the Lord your God, so that the Lord will repent of the evil with which he threatens you. As for me, I am in your hands. Do with me what you think is right and good. But mark well, if you put me to death, it is innocent blood you bring on yourselves, on this city, and on its citizens. For in truth, it was the Lord who sent me to you to speak all these things for you to hear. Thereupon the princes and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, This man does not deserve death. It's in the name of the Lord our God that he speaks to us. So Iakim son of Shaphan protected Jeremiah so that he was not handed over to the people to be put to death. And I hope that one of you out there will take that role for me. <laughs> because uh, the last couple of weeks, we've, we've had some um, interesting discussions here. And my goal is not so much to, to make you think the way that I think. My goal is to say, let's take a look at what our faith demands of us. It demands us uh, to take a, a more careful look at the things that we espouse and the things that we promote, rather than just uh, following the narrative that our favorite news media source puts out, rather than following the narrative that our political party generally follows, uh, I, I want you to look first to your faith. And that's really my, my desire for the show in general, is to say, when we look at something, let's look first at our faith and realize that there is nothing in this world uh, that we're going to fit in perfectly with. Let us first and foremost be a people who follow after the will of God. And, and that means forming our consciences to really understand and know the voice of the Holy Spirit rather than just the, the loud voices that clamor for our attention. So uh, today we're going to read from church history. We're going to read a sermon by St. Alphonsus Liguori. Uh, his feast day is coming right up just around the corner, and so we're going to take this out of the breviary. And this is a sermon on the love of Christ, and I think that this kind of circles around and sums up nicely uh, all that we talked about from the very beginning when we spoke about martyrdom and our, our call to live in holiness uh, and to this, this question of how we approach uh, an election in this case, but how we form our consciences to live uh, a, a worthy life, a life worthy of the gospel. And so this is uh, a sermon on the love of Christ. All holiness and perfection of soul lies in our love for Jesus Christ, our God, who is our Redeemer and our supreme good. It is part of the love of God to acquire and to nurture all the virtues which make a man perfect. Has not God, in fact, won for himself a claim on all our love? From all eternity, he has loved us. 
And it is in this vein that he speaks to us. O man, consider carefully that I first loved you. You had not yet appeared in the light of day, nor did the world yet exist, but already I loved you. From all eternity I have loved you. Since God knew that man is enticed by favors, he wished to bind him to his love by means of his gifts. I want to catch men with snares, those chains of love in which they allow themselves to be entrapped so that they will love me. And all the gifts which he bestowed on man were given to this end. He gave him a soul made in his likeness and endowed with a memory, intellect, and will. He gave him a body equipped with the senses. It was for him that he created heaven and earth and such an abundance of things. He made all these things out of love for man, so that all creation might serve man, and man might in turn love God out of gratitude for so many gifts. But he did not wish to give us only beautiful creatures. The truth is that to win for himself our love, he went so far as to bestow upon us the fullness of himself. The Eternal Father went so far as to give us his only Son. When he saw that we were all dead through sin and deprived of his grace, what did he do? Compelled, as the Apostle says, by the superabundance of his love for us, he sent his beloved Son to make reparation for us and to call us back to a sinless life. By giving us his Son, whom he did not spare precisely so that he might spare us, he bestowed on us at once every good, grace, love, and heaven. For all these goods are certainly inferior to the Son. He who did not spare his own Son but handed him over for all of us, how could he fail to give us, along with his Son, all good things? And that reading comes from St. Alphonsus Liguori, and it is on the love of Christ. And this is why we do what we do here. This is why I, I pester you about voting, about uh, living a life of holiness, about expecting at any moment that life is not just going to be peaches and roses and everything's going to be handed to you on a silver platter, right? There's going to be difficulty. Life is going to be hard. You know, I've, I've gone through hardship myself. I've lost, uh, I've lost two children. I have lost several jobs. I've, I've had to trust in the, the graces of Almighty God uh, even when I didn't feel like it. And I tell you what, um, it's all worth it because of the love of God. I am sustained because of the love of God. And, it, you know, I, that, if, if it all comes down to anything today, it is be at peace because you are loved by God and let that drive you to a life of holiness in the way you act and in the way you interact with the world, in the way this time around, in the way that you vote. That's all the time we have for this week. Outside the Walls is a co-production of Breadbox Media and St. Michael Radio heard around the world on live stream, terrestrial radio, and podcast. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. See you next week.